Good morning, neighbors, and welcome to our weekly interviews with community organizations and leaders in the neighborhoods of Philadelphia. I'm your host, Jane Jeanette Ansa. I'm very delighted to host this series of interviews, which is a collaboration amongst the Lindy Center for Civic Engagement, Drexel Edits, a center for the support of nonprofit communications, and radio station WKDU. If you listen to my intro episode, you will know that this season is just a little bit different. For one, I am the sole host and producer, as I am working on this show for my co-op. And two, this season is focused on the racism and injustices that are plaguing our country. So over the next few weeks, I will be educating you all with some history, but also speaking to organizations that are on the front lines of this fight and are supporting the Black community in Philadelphia, but also as a whole in general. This week, however, I am very excited to have special neighbors from right here at Drexel University. Today, I am joined by Ms. Kim Galston and Tiana Williams. Kim Galston is the Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Drexel University. She is also a leader and co-chair of the new Anti-Racism Task Force at Drexel. Tiana Williams is a third-year engineering student here at Drexel and currently serves as the President of the Drexel Black Action Committee Vice President of the National Society of Black Engineers and is on the Undergraduate Student Life Committee of the Task Force. Welcome to the show, ladies. I'm very happy to have you here. So, wasting no time at all, we're just going to get right into this episode. See, I hear a lot of student stories, you know, being Black at Drexel, but I don't hear much from faculty and staff, so I'm really, really interested. Um, how do you feel your experience as both, you know, student and a, and a faculty member at Drexel has been, especially as a Black person or more specifically as a Black woman? And we can start with you, Kim. So just to clarify, I'm not a faculty member. I right. am considered professional staff. Professional um, staff, thank you. So I think you would get a an even different perspective from right. faculty and have had the opportunity to actually hear from faculty. Um, we had a black faculty conversation with um, the interim provost called Jensen, which was which was very enlightening. Um, and their experience is just different. So um, okay. But I, I would say as a professional staff person who deals a lot with faculty and from the HR perspective, um, as well as other staff, for me here at Drexel, I'd have to say I took a different perspective. So I'm a little older um, and spent 20 years working um, at Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson University um, Hospital. And so I think my years of sort of that imposter syndrome, trying to figure mm -hmm. out how I fit in. And then I realized that I have to be me and I bring myself into work every day, all of it. Um, because that's the only way I could be the best me, the best I can be. And I think because of that, again, this is my experience, it's opened up other doors and opportunity because they know exactly who they're getting. I'm, I'm gonna give it to you straight. I'm gonna tell you what I'm thinking. Obviously I'm being considerate and professional about it, but I've learned, I, I don't know how to be any other way. I, I just don't. So that's been for me, kind of my experience. And I've, you know, I've seen some things, I've seen, you know, and heard a lot about other people's experiences and how they've been treated um, at Drexel, overlooked for promotions, not feeling that um, you know, their work or, or support for them professionally and, and being developed um, has been equal to their white colleagues. Um, you know, um, they don't feel that if they are failing um, or, or um, in need of, um, of support in terms of their performance, that, they're, um, that, that there's that same sort of outreach. It's more like not working out um, and, and, and the only way I can see it working is that they're terminated. And so I've been able to support um, people through that, you know, in that way. Um, and when we really saw that it was a true, like, issue as it relates to race, um, you know, working with Office of Equality and Diversity to help support that. But, but, but you know, it's been, um, for me even, 
um, hearing stories of people's um, experiences um, at Drexel has been, it's been sad. It, it, it's, it's truly been sad um, that, you know, they feel like they're, they're not seen, nor are they heard, um, and that there's a ceiling for where they can go at this organization. So um, my experience hasn't been that, and I'm so blessed and I'm thankful for it. But as I've said in other venues, I have to be able to use that privilege that I have and that blessing that I have to make sure that somebody else has the same opportunities that I've been given. And so um, that really has been my focus since being here um, at Drexel. That's powerful. And just a quick follow-up question. It sounds like you do, but do you feel like you're supported um, as professional staff at Drexel? Um, I do. I, I think where the, you know, we talk about sort of that black tax and that, and that burden, which I have a different view on and we can have a whole conversation about that on a different day. <laughs> but you gotta, you have to explain it. Like, right, so I have to, kind of say, well, that's not what they meant when they said this, or the reason why they feel this way. And so it's it, it sort of, um, I'm supported and I'm thankful that I have um, a boss that I can give her like the straight and skinny on everything. Like, so this is what this means. And this is why this is felt this way, or this is probably what their experience has been. And so, you know, they're not angry, they're tired. Like, and, and the fact that we have to ex continue to explain ourselves and who we are isn't something that you ever have to do. I, I had to explain, um, I, 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 and I'll tell a, quick, a very quick story because I want Tiana to be able to talk about her. <laughs> but this wasn't really so much Drexel specific, specific, but more about my role. I was asked to go to a, um, a forum to talk about recruitment for, um, for chief information officers, right? So people, and it, it was like across industries. And when I was asked to do it, now, as long as I've been doing this work, I was nervous. And like, I was second guessing myself. I was thinking like, oh my God, this is gonna be terrible. And my boss, and I explained it to her to say, I already know going into this, I'm gonna be the only black person and the only black, only, only, only black female in this room. So when I get up to talk about, you know, different ways to recruit and strategies, I don't have anybody to connect with in this audience. And I know that going into this meeting, that there's going to be white males, probably a few Asians, but no one that looks like me. And sometimes that's tiring, that's challenging, because you just want to make that eye contact to be like, hey, sis, right. like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel hey, that. <laughs> You know, just to get that encouragement and support. I'm happy to say when I got there, there were two Drexel people there that were completely connected. Like, you got this, you're good, white female, white male. But the, my point is, I was completely right. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anybody else black in that room. And so I, I think my experience is not even so much Drexel, it's just life. And it's right. just as you move up in your career, and you get into rooms, it becomes smaller and smaller who you see that actually looks like you. And that that's that's hard. That's hard. So thank you for sharing. And you I was actually gonna ask about that later too, but you hit on it. Um, Tiana. Yeah, so the student experience, it you know, I was kind of thinking like, oh man, like I wish I can't wait until I can get to that point, Kim, when you were talking about like, you know, just being your authentic self and not really, you know, I feel like everyone their entire life kind of deals with imposter syndrome, but you know, significantly less. Um, because I, that's the student experience like every day. Um, and just how you said, like, this is just life. It's oftentimes hard to explain to people why there's such a difference because, you know, you tell people, um, you know, that it's hard going to a PWI and systemic racism and stuff. And, you know, the first thing that people are thinking of is like, you know, white supremacists posted on the corner or, you know, you know, very heinous hate crimes. And yes, that does happen, but that's not the everyday. And 
what else happens is also still important. It's like mm-hmm. you kind of almost feel like you're leading like this double life. And I have conversations with my friends and fellow students all the time about how like we just can't even imagine living life without the worries that we have, like being, you know, a straight cis um, white man and then, you know, the levels under that until you get to Black or a Black woman or Black LGBTQ are so different. Um, and the experiences that you have, like just walking around campus, there are times when, you know, I'll be going to a new class, like if, the, if there's a new term starting or I'll be going to a new event just to check something out and having to worry about being the only Black person there, being, being the only Black woman there, um, and not having someone to connect, like him said, and going into it knowing that. And then even just, I was reading the, there is an Instagram page, Black at Drexel, where students mm-hmm. are sharing experiences. And one I really connected to, um, someone was talking about how they intentionally, how they intentionally move in their life just to protect themselves. And that's as simple as, you know, putting on a piece of um, Drexel gear, just so that if you're walking around, like you're recognized as a student and unfortunately you feel like that gives you some accreditation just to your life so that people don't think a certain way about you or they don't do something to you. Um, And that's something that the other students, that white students and stuff like that, they'll never have to go through. Um, And they'll probably never understand that. Um, And that makes it really hard. It makes it hard because, you know, we're here for the same reasons everyone else is. We want to get an education. We're passionate about what we do. We want to build friends and stuff like that. But at the same time, there's this whole other set of issues that we have to deal with that other people don't. Mm-hmm. For example, into the co-op program um, and worry, having to worry, does this company, you know, do they have a good culture? Do they hire Black people? Um, and that's a really real and valid like fear that we have going into just everything. Um, so I think, you know, as much as we can talk about the experiences of like dealing with, you know, a biased or racist professor or, um, you know, having look over work, you know, that stuff that, you know, we say all the time, but it's really like the, the really specific um, and nuanced things about just life here at Drexel as a black student being at a PWI that really affects us. And that's what we're trying to change. Yes, I totally agree. And you guys mentioned it, but I was gonna talk about like how uncomfortable it is like going into a class and knowing you're already about to be the only or one Mm -hmm. of two very few black people in the class. And it's just, it's a struggle. And I remember um, something you had said, Tiana, it reminded me, oh yeah, the Black at Drexel um, story where she felt like she had to wear Drexel gear. I remember I live off campus just a little bit, not even that far, and I have to take the shuttle every day to campus. And I get on the shuttle every single day to and from campus. And there's this one driver, every time I get on the shuttle, he'll let everyone on, but he always asks me for my to show my ID. And I'm just like, I'm, and sometimes it's like, you don't even know like what to say or what to do. I'm like, do I go off on him right now? Or do I just keep it pushing, you know? And like you said, that's just something that we have to deal with that other students would never understand. Um, another thing that bothers me a lot too is the lack of black professors um, at, at school. And I think Kim, what you said, like, as you move up in life, like those groups, you know, get smaller. But I'm curious to any of you, is why is there such a deficit when it comes to black professors, like seeing professors like you? Like I've been at Drexel for three years now, about to be four years, and I've only had one black professor, and that was for like a race, a racial injustice class. And I just think it's ridiculous. But do you guys have any thoughts or ideas on that? Um, I have many thoughts. <laughs> great, great, great. I have, I, have many, I have many thoughts. One thing I just wanted to also mention, you know, just as a student, because I went to um, a, a PWI both for undergrad and graduate school. Um, and, and one of the things, you know, I used to think about is like, you know, one of being one of two or three in a class, like, 
you know, then do we all sit together? Or does that then <laughs> make it seem like we're, a, right. you know, but <laughs> to say like, but they're all sitting together Hello? and no one's questioning that there's 25 white people sitting together. So why do we have to think so hard about the little things that no one else would, would ever consider, would right. consider wouldn't cross their mind. So just thinking about um, more so my experience as, as you were talking Tiana about like, sort of, you know, my school wasn't probably as white as Drexel is, so it wasn't as bad, but I mean, in terms of just numbers, but um, just those sorts of things, you're just like, um, yikes. <laughs> right. Um, so your question about Black faculty, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I think one is, you know, Drexel is an engineering school. You know, that's what it's kind of known as, right? So I think one, when you're looking at certain areas, certain programs like um, computing and informatics, engineering, th the pool of black faculty isn't the same as maybe you would find in say, um, you know, in arts or some other areas. And not that we're doing well in any one college, because we're not. But you will see, like in CNHP, College of Nursing Health Professions, or even in DUCOM, there are a lot more Black faculty than there are in, in the rest of, of Drexel University. But there are also a lot more, um, if you look at the numbers, uh, in terms of PhD students going into those areas, um, you'll see that there are more medical um, you know, nursing, clinical type areas, um, computing and informatics, the pool isn't, isn't large to begin with, right? So we're not going into certain, we meaning black people are going and in, in, in really educating ourselves in certain areas to the degree that we can come over and then be faculty. So I think that's, that's one that's thing where we, where we need to, you know, and I think when I say we, even schools such as Drexel doing a better job in, in attracting and getting students excited about areas where we already know there aren't large numbers of, of, of black people going into um, for studies. Uh, it's just, you know, ask, ask a, a 10 year old to name t five black scientists if they're not learning it in their schools. And then, so who, who, am, I, who am I sort of looking up to? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's all of those things that start young, which, which as society, we need to do a better job. I'm not putting all that on Drexel, but we need to do a better job. So I think that's one issue. The pipeline isn't always there. Two, as a Black faculty member, why would I come to Drexel? I'm, we're not known for our diversity. No one on the streets is talking about, oh my gosh, like Drexel is amazing. They do such a great job and, you know, with, with really um, making um, black people or people of color feel supported, um, you know, so our culture doesn't attract um, diversity, right? So it's not on people's list when they're considering jobs to go to. So that's, I think that's another, another thing that we have to, we have to work on. I think the third thing is a lot of times it's who you know, right? So within your professional networks, where you're posting jobs, um, who you know, word of mouth, position coming open, we need a faculty member teaching X, Y, and Z. Um, whatever those things are, I'm looking in my network, right? To kind of reach out, because that's just how that's just how the world works. A lot of it is who you know. But mm -hmm. if I'm white, if I'm white, um, and I've gone to a predominantly white school, um, my professional organizations consist of a lot of other white people. I'm talking to people like me who look like me to bring them in or at least get them interested in opportunities at Drexel. So I think for 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 those three, those are three, and then I'm sure there's other things, but to me, those are three main reasons why we haven't done a good job and we haven't been intentional about it. So there's mm -hmm. a one. Like we have to say, like, this is what we want. We have to look at look at position descriptions to say, um, you know, we've filled the same position in Westfall, I'm making it up, in Westfall with this specific um, sort of um, um, experience we're looking for. Have we talked about hip hop experience? Have we talked about 
Um, you know what I mean? So just even us taking a look at where's the world going as we start to fit in cultural um, competencies as a part of how we teach, that's also an attraction. So I could spend all day on this because we've <laughs> talked about this and this is an area that I'm definitely saying, you know, as a part of the racism task force, we're looking at how we change it. Um, but for all of those reasons, I can say is why you don't see the diversity within your classroom at the professor level. That was very insightful. I feel like every time I ask that question, I never get a solid answer, but those are all great reasons. Um, and I'm glad that the, the task force is going to be working on that. So that's exciting. <laughs> um, Moving on a little bit. So you're both leaders on campus. So I want to just, I want you guys to share a little bit more about um, what you do at Drexel and in the community. So we can start with you, Tiana. You're the president of the Drexel Black Action Com Committee and um, the vice president for the National Society of Black Engineers. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about DBAC and SB um, and what you do, and how they can get yeah. involved? Uh, so Nesby um, has a chapter. We are, like, as it says in the name, we're a national organization, and we have a chapter on Drexel's campus. So, you know, I am an engineer, uh, which is hard, especially going to Drexel. Um, and, you know, a lot of us come into school knowing what this environment is like, knowing that we'll, you know, be minoritized and that, you know, there aren't many other Black people. So, we need that support. So that's what NSBE is there to do. Um, we're there as a, you know, as a community and also as um, an academic and professional organization to really help students, you know, get through college. Um, and so that's our mission. Our mission is like to create, um, to increase the number of black engineers, graduates, stuff like that. Um, so we do a lot of like work on the academic side. We do, you know, study sessions. We try to do um, some tutoring every now and again. Um, we'll do uh, like company meetups. So we'll um, like offer to have companies come in, do presentations, try and get people to make those connections, going to conventions and stuff like that. Um, so pretty much just being an answer to other professional engineering organizations. Like there's a Society of Mechanical Engineers, Society of Electrical Engineers, whatever you can think of, there's a society for it. But being that, you know, black people are not heavily um, represented there, uh, Nesby began as a targeted, you know, mission to really answer the problems that uh, black students have. So, and then on DVAC side, Drexel's Black Action Committee, we're really focused on activism and community service. That's in our mission, it's in our name. That's what we focus on. So really being a voice on campus um, that students can come to, to find community, but also just to be able to see and hear student experiences and our own experiences, because you know the people that are on our board and our members are Black. Um, and be able to address that wherever it's needed. We've been doing a lot of work um, since the start of this current movement and um, and trying to address some of the issues at Drexel, being a part of you know proposals that were sent to administration. Um, that's why I offered to be on the task force so that I could be you know firsthand seeing what's going on and have input for the students. Um, so that's really what both of the organizations are trying to do just on different fronts is just being a voice for the students, being a place where they can feel comfortable. Um, and then we also connect with each other. There are a bunch of other um, black and brown student organizations, WISE, DASA, um, and that's West Indian Student Establishment, the Drexel African Student Association. Um, African Fusion Dance Team, like we all are in contact with each other, the Black Student Union, on what we can do. We held a forum just to like give a space for Black students to really just like vent and talk about, you know, how they really feel about stuff. And Kim was there. Um, <laughs> so just trying to really like just give those spaces and let students know that they're here and advocate for them is what we're trying to do. 
That is awesome. Yes, um, I was at the event. It was great. Very refreshing. And Kim, you're Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer. So how long have you been in this position and what do you do as a Chief Diversity Officer? I've been in this position, um, well actually, I came here as Assistant Vice President for Human Resources um, mm -hmm. four years ago. And um, and then I moved into, uh, I was appointed to the Chief Diversity Officer role in October of 2019. Um, and, and I still held on to some of my HR responsibilities. So um, as Chief Diversity Officer, um, you know, I've been tasked with building a um, diversity, equity, and inclusive um, strategy for the organization. Um, Drexel has um, pockets of work that's being done around DEI in separate schools and colleges, but we haven't had um, an overall vision for the work. It hasn't been embedded in any of the strategic plans um, that we have for the organization um, in a way that has that has had any major impact, um, you know, for Drexel, albeit where we are right now as it relates to, um, you know, our some of our, our anti-racism um, efforts. And a lot of that is because we haven't communicated um, or built trust um, in the community that the work that we're doing um, with um, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, has really has produced any true outcomes that, that people have felt made any huge difference um, in the culture. So it's really about, um, you know, I say my role is making us okay, making us comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, opening up the organization so that we begin to hear what our issues are and acknowledge what those issues are. And then let's figure out a plan for how we move forward, um, you know, based off of what we're hearing and where we want to go as an organization and to actually um, help push the agenda of commitment forward. Um, you know, from, from administration. So I, I would say in a nutshell, um, you know, that is my role. Um, it, it's really um, to include also education and learning. Um, we're using a lot of terms right now, microaggression, bias, racism, anti-blackness, like all of these things are, are being thrown out, but does the community really know what we're talking about? Do they really know what these terms mean? Um, do they really understand unconscious bias and how that plays a huge part in all the work that we do or don't do? Um, so it's really um, focusing ourselves around um, becoming a, a, a more conscious um, culture because I'm, I'm not here to end racism. That I don't think that's possible um, because people are still going to be people. But I'm going to heighten the awareness as to what racism does and how it prevents us as a unified function, our group, to be able to move, move, move people forward, move a culture forward, and be able to give fair um, opportunity and to make people feel like they belong um, at Drexel. And so I would say, that's my job. That's my job. <laughs> It sounds like they got the right person to do that. So that's I great. So. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like clearly you both are doing great things at Drexel. So I say thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for sharing. So for those of you who are unaware, in the wake of George Floyd's death and the following outrage, Drexel made a statement and put forth some initiatives they would be taking to tackle the issue of racism and support its Black students. So Kim, as co-chair of the task force, can you tell us a little bit more about the task force? What is your mission? What's your purpose? And what do you guys plan to do? So the, the mission of the, the anti-racism task force is to dismantle racism in universities, policies, and practices. And it's really going back to you know, what was Drexel founded on? And it was founded on a promise to provide accessible education um, to meet society's most pressing challenges. Um, and we're, and our work to do that is to empower our students 
um, and from all backgrounds, providing advancement opportunities for faculty and professional staff and catalyzing community-driven transformation for the neighboring communities. So it's sort of a three-fold of um, students, faculty and staff, and community. Um, and, and as you'll see, um, the task force made up of 11 um, subcommittees that are all focused on those areas and they're all connected um, and so really excited about um, the agenda that's that's set forth for for this task force okay um, I'm just curious real quick how was how did the conversation go to get this task force started and kind of like off the ground and get you involved so um, it's interesting you know even from the weekend when everything came out around um, George Floyd's murder and it was being seen, and I sent an email to um, you know uh, President Fry about we got to get a message out there. And um, as you can see, we've we've done well with some messaging, not so well with others, and you know it's all been sort of a um, a, a work in progress in terms of of getting the right words, getting the right messaging out there. But as a part of it, at the same time, it was like, we sent out a message um, through President Fry, and then we got our first message from um, a medical student um, at DUCOM who talks about his experience as um, a black male. It was very, um, you know, sort of eye-opening for, for many in leadership. And then we started getting, and then, and then we said, we got to start talking about this. What, did we start off the best way? No, I got a lot of flack about the, the community talk on racism. But for me, and as um, crazy as it was, and I had parameters and, you know, what's, what's going to happen if we do this and how structured is it going to be and whatever the case may be. The point of the matter is for me, because I have to look for a win in whatever it is that we do in this work it was we started the conversation, whether it was good or good or bad, first first out, but people started talking. Um, and, and we and at the same time, and I would say Tiana and the groups that she's been working with very strategically had their um, their list of demands hit um, administration the same the morning of the day we were having um, our first discussion on racism. So it was like perfect timing, Tiana, but it was perfect timing in that they they not only want to have a conversation, but there's things that they want to see happen. And how do we make those things happen? Um, and, and so from that, it was, all right, we could check off the box and say, okay, we heard this, we did this, we did this. But to my to my point of constantly being sustainable, the only way that we're going to make change and, and, and show progress is changing some of these policies, changing some of these practices, really digging into the systemic issues, um, which unfortunately doesn't happen in a day, right? So then that's when we started talking about the task force and we took a look at um, the areas in which the students were saying they want change, staff and faculty and doctoral students sent a separate letter, looked at all of that and that's how we created um the subcommittees underneath the task force that's awesome so tiana um as a student on the task force what has your experience been like being a part of the task force and working with some of the senior leadership and um representing other black students right um so the task force um just got started we've only had like one like kind of introductory um, starting meeting so far, and then from now, um, each subcommittee is supposed to meet. I'm supposed to meet with the members, uh, the other co-chairs of my subcommittee tomorrow. Um, so that's still pretty new. So I'm still trying to see like what that's going to be about. But previous to that, like Kim said, um, there were other meetings that happened beforehand where me and some other student leaders were meeting with professional staff members, such as Kim. Um, and others like Shabir Sahu and uh, Katie Samulinski. Okay, sorry to her if I messed up her name. Um, and stuff like that. And it's been interesting because like Kim said, the commitment piece to it 
is the most important. Um, and I was just talking about this yesterday. DBAC had a meeting on how to like how to be an activist slash ally in movements like this, and it brought me back to a story that um, I heard actually from Maurice about a student organization that like was starting to finally see like issues and stuff like that with like the culture in their organization and how they can change. So they made a statement about how they're going to start, you know, moving forward and be more conscious and stuff like that. And another student who um, either was a graduate or, you know, had just moved on, that you should be a part of that, kind of called them out on it. It was like, you know, that student felt, you know, that they had never done anything like that before. And they were very like untrustworthy of the effort and stuff like that. And, you know, they responded with that. And instead of, you know, backtracking and being offended, the student organization just kind of took that to feed, you know, what they were trying to do, which I'm grateful for because a lot of things that people have to realize that, you know, Drexel as an organization and entity has to realize is that there's years and years of distrust um, that has been built up between, you know, administration and the students um, and just honestly any uh, part of the university and the students, particularly the black students about, you know, where they're going to put their efforts and how they're actually going to support the students um, because they've been met with either backlash or just insufficient responses before. And it's happening again now. Um, a lot of people are tired of hearing like that there's going to be a committee formed or a task force formed. And, you know, I'm, I share in their tiredness um, because, you know, you hear that and it's just like, oh, they're just going to like do this to appease us. And then, you know, years down the line, it's just going to fall to the wayside. Um, and we're seeing that all over the country right now where they're trying to do like these little fixes to kind of appease people when it's like, no, we're asking for actual systematic change. Um, so that's what I'm hoping that my experience on the task force will be. Like I joined um, just to make sure that I could see the work that was being done, you know, firsthand. Because uh, I want to make sure that it stays action oriented and that we're not just constantly talking and talking and not actually doing anything. Um, so I think, you know, staying committed to this um, and making sure that, um, you know, what we're doing is actually yielding results and things like that um, is really what I'm hoping for. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, that sounds great. Um, thank you for sharing. You know the interview is going good when your guests are already answering the questions that you had planned. You guys are hitting everything <laughs> on the head, so thank you. The smart black women. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so the task force wasn't the only initiative that Drexel came out with in response to everything. Um, they are also working to build a black cultural center, which I'm actually really interested in and excited for. And they're also doing an independent review of DUPD. And yes. recently we found out that Drexel will stop giving funds and sponsorship to the Philadelphia Police Department. Um, and initially I thought, okay, that's good, but um, how do you guys feel about that and how do you guys feel about the presence of police on Drexel's campus and Drexel's involvement with the police in general? Do you want to see it go? Do you think we need it? What are your thoughts? I, um, so to kind of like take a couple steps back real quick, um, speaking of the, you know, Black Cultural Center that's being um, established, I am very happy to see that that is finally a thing. That's something that we've been asking for. I'm sure students have been asking for it since before I came to Drexel, and it's something that I wish that we had since I came to Drexel. Um, so I'm interested to see where that goes. I actually just received an email, I think, late yesterday from um, uh, Sade Johnson, Sade Johnson, sorry, excuse me. Um, so I'm hoping to get, you know, DBAC involved with, you know, because of something on that. Um, I haven't actually read the email yet. And then as far as Drexel's Police Department and Public Safety, DBAC actually had a meeting with Drexel Police, which is going to be part of an ongoing um, conversation slash partnership. We'll see where it goes. Um, where we, you know, 
just tried to get a lot more transparency from them. We were asking about, you know, what are their policies, whether their use of force, what's their, you know, response to any kind of misconduct from an officer and stuff like that. Um, and I felt good about that meeting. I feel like a lot of times when we're in conversations like that across the university, there's a lot of, you know, political, political correctness that comes with um, and the answers that we get back and a lot of, you know, dancing around the question. But I feel like in the meeting that we had, um, I felt a lot of transparency and honesty from them. I think, you know, I'll be honest, my position as far as police in general, I am 100% for abolition. Now, whether that just begins with the funding would be great. Um, but, you know, there was a time before police, there will be a time after police and the history of the establishment of police just goes to show that, you know, it really needs to be, that's another system that needs to be overhauled and something new needs to take its place. So that's my personal um, stance on that. So it's kind of hard when I think about Drexel Police Department because, you know, that's something that's in place that I don't really see them getting rid of. Um, and then there's also like the, you know, the personal issues about that, you know, these are people's jobs and stuff like that. So I feel like as it's kind of a hard situation to deal with because if it's not dealt with on a national and city level, then I feel like there's less incentive to deal with it on the university level. Like if Philadelphia doesn't defund or abolish their police department, um, not saying that Drexel couldn't, you know, they, they have the power to do that, but it's a kind of tricky line to walk, I think, when you talk about stuff like that. So instead, until um, we see how that goes, um, you know, we're more than willing to, you know, meet with Drexel Police Department, just really ensure that, you know, they're here for all the student safety. Um, in our conversation with them, they do operate a lot differently than Philadelphia Police Department. Not to say that they don't have their own issues because I've heard stories from students um, with their experiences from Drexel Police. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to have more conversations with them and see what can be done until, you know, um, more drastic change is brought up. Kim, do you want to add anything to that? Um, sure. So. Um, I'll start with the, the center um, for yes. black culture. So really excited about that. Um, we found a, a place, a home for it, which would be the Rush Building, which I think is going to be really nice. Um, Sade Johnson is our interim director, um, and she's really energized and excited and comes from um, University of Delaware, where they have a very strong Center for Black Culture. So we'll be adopting some of their best practices, but I think also expanding it um, to really ensure that it's not just students, but you know, faculty and staff that also um, are represented and um, and help to support the um, the Black uh, the Center for Black Culture. One of the things that um, I would love to see put into place there would be more of a, of a sort of mentorship program, um, especially during a time when we don't have, um, as we talked about earlier, black faculty representation, that there are people um, that are more seasoned in their careers that sort of serve as um, support to our black students in a different way. So um, really excited about all those opportunities um, um, for, that, for that center and so, um, please support um, once we open up because it's going to really be important. Got to have people in there in order for us to continue to say it's needed, right? Right. Um, and I think all the um, Black students are really excited for it as well. <laughs> COVID to go away so they'll be on campus and we can really enjoy it and each other. But yeah, but that'll give us some time to get it all together. So um, that's, that's exciting. Um, in, in terms of, of the police, I have... Um, I've had an interesting role with them, um, one from an HR perspective um, with um, really looking at contracts and negotiating contracts with the Drexel University Police Department um, and actually getting to know um, some of those officers um, in that way. 
Um, I would say that I do think that there's a need um, for, for police presence um, on the campus. Um, to Tiana's point, if there's a dramatic change across the nation on how we look at police reform, um, then definitely, I, I believe Drexel should fall in line and not necessarily have to wait for that. But I also think through um, this opportunity we have with doing the assessment of figuring out how we become more transparent um, with, with what we do and how we do things, um, and also being able to involve the community, and I say Drexel community at large, in terms of being able to um, understand trends, understand um, um, incidents, understand how are we handling those situations um, that aren't strictly personnel related, but sort of we're having a trend of this. And so we're either doing training or or changing sort of practice around how, how our police handle situations. Um, would love to see um, funding go to, and we have a separate group on trauma and mental health support. I think doing some of that, um, putting resources into that area will help alleviate some of what the police are now being asked to do or being served as sort of that liaison, which may or may not be appropriate given the situation. So I think there's opportunity for us to take a look at it in that way. But I, I would say um, based on positive things that I've heard in terms of needing escorts, um, knowing that there's a presence there, um, you know, in the current environment that we're in and understanding that crime and, and, and rape and all types of things are still happening. Um, you know, I, I'm concerned. If my child was going to Drexel right now, I would wanna know that there's some type of, of, of police or somebody that has some sort of oversight to, to ensure that they're safe. But I also wanna make sure that my child being um, either one of my black sons or my black daughter would be treated um, in a way that's consistent um, that's empathetic and that, um, you know, is, is, is fair. So that's where I stand with the police. There have been a couple of pages created on Instagram um, for the for communities at Drexel, a few of them including Black at Drexel, which we touched on briefly a little earlier, and Me Too Drexel. These pages provide a space and platform for students to share their experiences of racism, microaggressions and sexual misconduct on campus. Um, they're pretty sad and unfortunately relatable stories. Um, but one of my favorite pages is the Drexel Community for Justice page. And they've been putting a lot of pressure um, on administration to address certain things. And they've also shared a lot of valuable information that I feel like students wouldn't have access to otherwise. So they actually posted about um, the anti-racism task force response to their petition and they were not fully satisfied with that response. They said that they would need a much more specific response to severing ties and divesting from the PPD, disarming Drexel police, finding new alternative safety solutions, compensation for the working committee and more. So I wanna know, I'm not sure how much you can speak on this, Kim, but how does the task force plan to address this and address um, this organization? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously our goal, and even with um, our five sentence response back to that group was really just to say, we hear you, we know you want answers. Some of this is going to come through um, our ability to do the assessment with the outside um, firm that's coming in. So our, an immediate response of divest, immediate response of change of practice, um, you know, I wanted to be real clear, like we hear you, but all of those things we won't have a response to in a week. Um, outside of it to say that we are going to assess all of these things and, and at, when that assessment is over, we'll be able to provide a lot more answers. In the meantime, you know, if there are individuals that want to work on this, if they want to be able to speak to um, the either the advisory board that we're creating or even want to have a place on that board, let us know who you are. Let us know how you want to participate. 
um, because that is really how you're going to get direct answers and be able to ask direct questions to those that are um, responding to this this assessment. So, um, so that's that's just my feeling on how we're able to move forward on some of the questions that they had. Um, you you spoke about the um, uh, additional compensation for those on um, the committees and. Quite frankly, there is no additional compensation at this point for anyone that's working on the committee. Um, and, and I've gotten some of those requests or even um, from faculty that are like, you know, is there a way that my teaching load can be decreased a little while I'm working on the committee? And, and I've said that is something that, you know, if you want to go to your dean and are able to work that out based on other service that you're doing. Um, but at this point, there's there's been no indication of, of ability to compensate or to decrease workload, be it for faculty or professional staff or student. Um, but I think, you know, as a part of what we're looking at in engagement, that is something that we need to take into account um, as a part of how, when we talked earlier about that black tax and, you know, being stretched so thin because there aren't many of us that we're here, there and everywhere. I, I listen to Tiana and she makes me tired and she doesn't, she, not even, she didn't even say that she had a job, but she got 50,000 things that are going on. Plus she has a responsibility to herself and her mother and whoever else that's supporting her, it was school to get good grades. So but, so I'm not dismissing that it is a lot on, on, on individuals' plates, but I also believe that we are in a position to make changes that will recognize for future like these are the these are some things that we need to take into account as we as we really build and, and start to dismantle some of the systemic racism of what that extra i don't want to call it a burden because because i don't feel like it's a burden um but the extra opportunities that we have um to really be able to make some changes takes time away from other things and we recognize that. Um, so I would say I would love to even have conversations with those that sort of lead um, Drexel, Drexel um, for Justice, um, Drexel Community for Justice. Um, would love to engage in other ways if it's if their focus right now is on the police would love to make sure that they get in front and just like there was conversations with the black student groups with the police to be able to have you know um others and maybe there's a blend right now so maybe some of them did hear from the police but even in a, a more organized way so that when we're sitting with um 21 cp which is the organization we're using that this group will be one group that is interviewed as a part of this process. Would love to be able to provide that opportunity, um, you know, to be able to move things forward, so. Um, and I, I feel like this could kind of pose as a challenge to the um, task force, people expecting a lot of things to happen really fast. Do you see any other challenges um, coming towards the, the task force as you move forward. And Tiana, as a student leader on the task force as well, you can answer this question if you have any thoughts. Um, I don't know if I can say like right now, if there's like, if I'm worried about any other things coming up, but I think my biggest worry is just making sure that we're like, as transparent as possible, like Kim said, um, that was part of a lot of the um, list of demands and proposals, especially the one that I was a part of creating. Um, because as a student leader, I try and put myself in positions where I am like at least one of the first to know about things. That's why I joined the task force. That's why I work with the Student Center for Diversity and Inclusion um, and why I speak to professional staff on a you know, semi-regular basis as often as I can. But some of this information is stuff that students should just be able to know as students that go to Drexel University. Um, and one of the problems that, you know, we're trying to bring up is the fact that, you know, we're experiencing these issues, but it's kind of hard to, you know, bring up solutions or make suggestions when you don't know the inner workings of the system. So 
that's where that transparency piece comes in. It's like, we want to know exactly what these policies are. You know, you know, Drexel has been talking for years in response to us about their diversity plan, but you can't find it anywhere. Um, like we're not able to view that. And I understand with certain things, like let's, when we were meeting with the police department, we were asking about them, you know, the work that they do is very sensitive. Sometimes when you're dealing with cases, you know, with people and stuff like that, there's information that's um, confidential and stuff like that. And, you know, I totally understand stuff like that, but some of it is stuff that like, I wouldn't see any deficit in sharing that information and letting it be available for people to view. Um, so I think that's just my biggest thing. I just want to make sure that the task force stays as transparent as possible and as timely in their responses. A lot of uh, statements posed by Drexel have been very um, reactive instead of proactive. You know, a lot of this started with proposals that were made or demands that were made when students found out that the National Guard was on campus. And, you know, I know that in the pandemic and most people are, you know, in their respective, um, you know, places of living and homes, but it's like, we're still a part of the Drexel community. Like this is, you know, for better or for worse, like a second home to many students. Some of us are still here. I'm still here, very close to campus. Um, so it's like, we wanted to know why that wasn't something that was, you know, told to us beforehand. Why weren't we given a heads up? Why did we have to, uh, you know, voice our concerns and then get a response back? So certain stuff like that um, is just what I'm hoping gets a good, you know, getting getting in a good habit of making sure that, you know, we're giving as much information as possible as it comes out. I, um, I totally agree with um, Tiana. Transparency is going to be huge. Uh, and, I, you know, that's a culture shift as well. Like, it is okay. And, I, and some of this may even just be academia, but some of it is okay to just say, I'm wrong. I didn't know. Like, I, I have, and, and this is just me personally, I'll be the first to be like, that's my fault. Like, I did this. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not at all declaring to be perfect, you know, in that way, but as, as a administration, like we gotta be, like I said, comfortable with the uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to say that you messed up. It is uncomfortable to say, I didn't think about it or whatever the case may be, but we, we have to get into, um, to Tiana's point being proactive. Um, and not reactive. And I also think something else that Tiana said, she's a very smart woman. Um, something else that she said though is, is true. And I think this goes back to that National Guard issue. Um, from my understanding, you know, things happen very quickly um, with Trump putting out there about national um, military. And then, so it, it happened, all of it happened very quickly. But I would venture to say, in my opinion, if we had a different culture where our students felt trust between um, themselves and administration, that if we even came out hours later after the presence was already felt on campus of the National Guard to say, we are actively working on this, we didn't have a chance to get in front of it, we don't own this space, you know, but we have your back and we understand. I think it just would have been a different reaction to the hundreds, and I mean the emails were coming through um, of students that were upset. But if you don't trust, if you don't trust that somebody you know supports you and that's looking out for your best interests at all times, the first, the your first instinct is to lash back at how could this happen? Why would you do this? As opposed to saying, okay, they're looking into it. We'll give them a little bit of time. We were surprised they could have done better, but the reaction was harsh. I mean, it was, it people were upset, and so I think it goes back to that trust, um, which is what I'm hoping um, the work through the task force starts to do. Um, Public accountability is going to be so important. Um, you know, we're working on the site, starting to put stuff out there on the site, like even just to say, look, this is our task force. These are the people that, you know, are working on this um, as co-chairs. 
but really building that out. So to your um, other point of a diversity plan, to be honest, I don't know if there's a diversity plan to really share. There was a list of activities that were happening, but not really like where we're going as an organization. So, um, you know, we could just be better in that way. So I, I think the obstacles would be transparency and it'll be reminding people this isn't a moment, this is a movement. Like, so look at your strategic plan because we're putting it in there. Look at, you know, the scorecard. We still have a ways to go. This is our timeline for things. Holding people accountable, holding departments accountable, holding administration, holding me accountable to the things that we've committed to. So I think those are, you know, our challenges because COVID is taken over, return to campus has been like a, a top priority, but this has to remain um, up there with everything else that happens as emergencies for the organization. This is an emergency that we need to respond to. I agree 100% with what you both said. Um, as we're winding down this interview, what are some things that you want our listeners to take away from this interview? Or just what is something you'd like to share? Your last thoughts. I really just want people to know that, like, to keep expressing their concerns, but also know that even, you know, like him said, you know, some things, you know, can't happen in a week. Um, so knowing that, you know, we're working on it and we hear it, and if you, you know, to keep up on it as well. Um, so we're working on things, but also it is important that you like stay informed with what we're doing and anywhere that you can, um, you know, with like the police review or with the task force, you know, join it, make sure that, um, you know, you're getting your voice heard or you're talking to the right people. Um, and then another big thing is, you know, going all the way back to the beginning with like what we're doing in our daily lives. I'm just hoping that people, you know, aren't letting this movement die down. Obviously take time to, you know, decompress and, um, you know, get your mental health right. But, you know, make sure that you're staying out there fighting the fight. You know, this isn't over. Not sure if it's going to be over for a while, but, um, just continue finding ways to help. Um, takeaways for me is, is, as I just said, this is an emergency for Drexel, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at it as such. Um, it's not just a fire, like you know, it, 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 it is, it is a, um, a, a total shift for us. And so, when you're doing a total shift, as Tiana said. Some of it does take time. There will be some low-hanging fruits that we'll look for, um, but this has been years um, embedded into policies and practices that we're going to take a look at and change. And so, um, so that's just one thing. Um, the other, the other takeaway is we're still listening um, and looking for other opportunities to ensure that that we're making the right types of change. Um, none of this wants that, we don't want this to happen in the vacuum. Um, we don't wanna make decisions that that as administration, and I'm using that loosely, thinks is what's needed. And so it's still important for us to hear your voice. Um, and it's important also for those, even on sites such as Black at Drexel and other sites that have been created, we also wanna be able to investigate and figure out you know, how we can make change happen in that way. So, you know, our hope is that you get more comfortable with being able to report these things so that we can actually look into it and make the changes that are needed um, with faculty, administration, or other students. Um, but we can only do that if you're really giving us the information. And so um, just hope that you begin to use other ways such as the anti um, hyphen racism at drexel.edu um, email address or contacting Office of Equality and Diversity directly. Um, we have made changes within that office as well um, to be better to, to better be able to support um, the needs of this organization and to really um, focus on um, and I'm going to say elimination of harassment, discrimination, other practices, but we can only act on the things that we know about. Wonderful. 
That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Um, well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you both. Beautiful, intelligent Black women. I'm so glad that you both were able to join me today. Thank you so much. Um, for more information about the Drexel Black Action Committee, you can follow them on Instagram at Drexel BAC. Also on Twitter at DrexelBAC. Their website is drexelbac.weebly.com and you can email them at drexelbac at gmail.com. For Nesby, you can follow them on Instagram at drexel.nesby, that's N-S-B-E. And their email is du.nsbepresident at gmail.com. For more information or to contact the task force, you can email anti-racism at drexel.edu. And you can find all this information on our Instagram at goodmorning.neighbors. Thank you all for tuning in and joining us today on Good Morning Neighbors as we spoke with Miss Kim Golston and Tiana Williams. You've been listening to, listening to your host, Jane Jeanette Ansa. This was great. Yeah, yeah. this was great. <laughs>